Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 52 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika. Joined with me is my co-host, Tyler Chan. And today, we are joined by a special guest host, Eric Krakauer, who's a soccer and analyst, soccer commentator and analyst for BN Sports. He's taking the time out of his busy day today, especially with the breaking news we have uh, with Jose Mourinho being named Tottenham head coach, the new Tottenham manager. Uh, yesterday, Tottenham sacking Mauricio Pochettino. So huge news in the Premier League. Um, Eric's taking his time out of his day to come come on the podcast. So really appreciate it. Um, how are you doing, Eric, before we get started on it? Uh, very good. Excited to be on with you guys. For sure. All right. So we got to get jump jump right into this Tottenham situation. All right. First initial reaction, knowing that Jose Mourinho will be the head coach at Tottenham. I mean, that, that just doesn't it still hasn't really clicked in my head that he's actually the manager for Tottenham right now. Yeah, it takes a while to sink in, doesn't it? Uh, well, I woke up this morning and saw the news and I couldn't believe it, uh, even though I had prepared myself. And uh, as soon as I found out that Pochettino had gotten the sack, I sent out a tweet suggesting that it would be Mourinho who would take over. Uh, but I didn't quite believe it until I saw it. And I think it's wonderful news for the Premier League because this guy uh, attracts large audiences. Whether you love him or hate him, you want to hear what he says. You want to see how his teams play, even if they pe- play badly, because it gives you fodder to criticize him. So uh, it's it's a, a great story, and it's I'm sure it's going to give us a lot of headlines in the coming months. Yeah, Tyler, for for you, initial reaction? For me, this is just... If you told me at the beginning of the season that Mauricio Pochettino is going to get sacked and then Jose Mourinho is going to take over, uh, a manager who was the Manchester United manager and also the former Chelsea manager, that's just insane to me. It's just They're just passing him around the Premier League at this point. <laughs> so, And then we already see... His training photos with Harry Kane and Dele Alli, it's just it doesn't seem right seeing him in the purple, <laughs> in those purple training kits at Tottenham Hotspur's training ground. It's just such a bizarre thing to see, but it's going to be a huge difference also for how Tottenham play because before under Pochettino, it's just very free-flowing. They have like their own kind of style. like It's very distinct, and they have this kind of chemistry. But now with the new head coach, after five years under Mauricio Pochettino, it's just going to be so different. You're just going to be a little worried. It's like, man, usually Tottenham is a very attacking mind of a nounder. Mourinho, he's very known to be kind of stereotypically more defensive minded. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he sets up this team now with just the given players and just how he usually plays and the tactics he has for that team. Yeah, and Eric, you know, Tottenham have some great attacking players with Hyunmin Son, Christian Eriksen, Harry Kane, Dele Ali. Um, I mean, the list kind of goes on and on. I mean, Lucas Moore on the bench. I mean, they have Lo Celso. Mourinho said, obviously, in his first interview with Tottenham that he wants to play with the younger players. Um, he really likes the squad that he's inheriting right now at Tottenham. And even at when he was the Manchester United manager, there were a lot of times where he was kind of going after, you know, the Tottenham players. I mean, Toby Alderweireld was linked heavily with United for so many parts of the season. But going into the attacking players, do you see... Um, any of these attacking players kind of regressing under Mourinho? And do you feel like that the development and the nurture and the growth that Pochettino showed with this young core, do you feel like a lot of that is going to go away with Mourinho not being well, the head boss? I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I understand that 
Mourinho has a tendency to be a little bit more conservative. But when he has the talent that is available to him at Tottenham, that kind of talent, he is able to create a pretty lethal attacking uh, team. And just look at what he did with Real Madrid when he had Cristiano Ronaldo and he also had Angel Di Maria and he had Higuain, uh, Benzema. He, he managed to build uh, an offensive powerhouse that did extremely well in European competition. He never won the Champions League and won him a, a title as well as a Copa del Rey. So this is a guy that when he has the talent available to him, he knows how to get them to play offensively. But there is no doubt that he is a more conservative coach. But having said that, you use the word nurture, and I think that's the accurate word to use because what Pochettino did, or one of the many things that he did, and what he did at Tottenham is, is fantastic. Uh, I don't think that that is an overstatement at all was he nurtured a lot of talent. He brought young players and turned them into high-caliber players. You take Harry Kane, who, uh, according to a lot of reports, was going to be either loaned out once again or he was going to be sold this a few years ago. You take Deli Alley, the way that he managed to transform Eric Lamella, who was mercurial but super inconsistent. And I think that these players are ready for somebody like Mourinho because they don't necessarily need to grow anymore. They just need good coaching. And I'm not in any way suggesting that they didn't get that with Pochettino, but they are certainly going to get that from Mourinho as well. Yeah. Um, and you, you kind of mentioned that, you know, that, that for them, for this squad to take that next step is that they need a coach that is a cerebral winner and no doubt about it Mourinho wherever he's gone he's won obviously at Manchester United he probably didn't win at the caliber that he would have hoped but he did bring a Europa League title a Carabao Cup title to United can you see I mean during this season that he's taken over basically in the middle of the season he's got a lot of time do you feel like he can make a run at the Champions League or where where do you kind of see him kind of making the biggest run with the squad this season at least well, I think they're in a great position in the Champions League and they could make a, a deep run in that tournament. If there's one thing that you can bet on with Mourinho is that he knows how to coach team in in uh, tournaments like that, in, in knockout games, playoff games. Um, and, you know, just going back real quick to what you said about his accomplishments at Manchester United, using the lens that we can now use, uh, given everything we know, uh, post Mourinho with Solskjaer coming in, it sort of it changes. I think the narrative uh, that we had um, ingrained in our psyches about Mourinho's stint there. I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that he wasn't toxic because he was toxic and he didn't do himself any favors. But that is not that does not mean that a lot of the complaints that he had about the board, about Ed Woodward weren't correct. We're seeing that happen right now. So the fact that he managed to take that team to a second place behind Manchester city to win the Europa league, to win the Carabao cup is quite an accomplishment considering what we're seeing that team do at this moment. So um, while overall his stint at Manchester United was a nightmare for him and for his players and for the club as a whole, I think you have to 
admit that it was fairly successful as well because he did manage to win trophies. And you look at this team right now and where they are with Solskjaer, I'm not sure uh, you can convince anybody that they'll be able to add to that trophy cabinet. Yeah, Tyler, you got to say on that? Yeah, well, I have like a follow-up question for Eric, actually, in, in regards to the current team that Mourinho now has at Tottenham because right now, Mauricio Pochettino built a team that last season, they made a top four, they made a Champions League final. And over the summer, they brought in players like Pingui Nendabele and Ryan Sessegnon and Lo Celso, of course. Right now, with Mourinho coming in, do you believe that Tottenham will give him a bit of a war chest, not only in the, say, January transfer window, but also summer transfer window to maybe add some players to this team? And are there any players you think Mourinho would maybe transfer out? Because there are players on the last year of the contracts, like Christian Eriksen and Bertongen and Toby Alderweireld. So do you see... Mourinho kind of using this team, most of the players, or do you see any players coming in that you might have in mind or maybe just on the way out? You know, that's a good question because one of the problems that, that was created or one of the, um, one of the issues that afflicted the relationship between Pochettino and Daniel Levy was the fact that the chairman was very frugal and he wasn't spending money on new recruits. According to some reports, the two couldn't agree about which players to bring into the club. Um, and, And that created one problem. The other problem was that Daniel Levy didn't ship out the players that you, that you mentioned that are on the end or at the end of their contracts, uh, Ericsson that you mentioned, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, uh, another one. And these are big-time players. But what has become apparent about them is also their desire to go and play somewhere else. Alderweireld, I think, was very interested in going to Manchester United when he was linked to the club when Mourinho is there. I'm not so sure about Vertonghen, and I don't think it's any secret that Christian Eriksen wanted to go to Real Madrid. In fact, I thought that was a very good move for uh, Real Madrid if it ever materialized. Because those players weren't sold and because they were looking elsewhere, it created a little bit of a problem for Pochettino in the locker room. And the way that he dealt with it, uh, especially insofar as Ericsson is concerned, keeping him on the bench, uh, not playing him when he was probably the first name after Harry Kane on the team sheet last season. I think that just exacerbated whatever conflicts were present in uh, the locker room. Now, as to the second part of your question, well, I actually haven't answered any of your question just yet. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, given the problems that they've had offloading these players, whether anybody is going to leave the club. But – even though Daniel Levy has a track record of not pulling the trigger on buying players, the fact that he has given Mourinho a three-and-a-half-year contract suggests to me that he is going to give uh, the Portuguese manager some money to play with. And the good news for Tottenham fans, I think, is that this just makes the potential transfer of Bruno Fernandes from Sporting to Tottenham a little bit more realistic, especially considering that the two other suitors or more prominent suitors are Real Madrid 
and Manchester United. I know that Mourinho is a big fan of Bruno Fernandes. I'm not saying it happens in January, but it's a pretty good bet that it will happen over the summer. Eric, you still there? Yes, I am. Uh, Yeah, cut out just a little bit right there. Yeah, I was just saying that I think that Bruno Fernandes is going to be the main target for for Mourinho in, in that midfield. And just to add another thing, you look at that team. Uh, I mean, Tyler, you mentioned Tonguien Dombele, who's nowhere near uh, the ceiling of his abilities. Lo Celso, what he was able to do for Betis last season. There's a very, very good nucleus to this team, regardless of whether they sell players or not. But if Vertonghen and Aldevarald leave, they need to bring in another center back. And the rumor is already that Eric Bailly could come from Manchester United, which is a very interesting move. Wow, did I did not see that one. I saw... I saw a report out there that um, I don't know if that I, I could trust this one, but I was like, they're very interested in bringing Paulo Dybala and a couple other players into Tottenham. But you kind of mentioned the, the gripe with Daniel Levy and Pochettino in terms of what players they wanted to bring and, you know, kind of going, kind of bringing this back to Pochettino. Do you feel like since Tottenham made this hire with Jose Mourinho, basically 24 hours after sacking Pochettino, do you feel like, they had Mourinho in mind for maybe months or even weeks uh, weeks before the sacking. I mean, it, it kind of just seems like if you hire a manager right away after firing your old one, it seems like this was kind of in the works, um, low-key or anyway. It was just in the works going on behind the scenes, behind Pochettino's back. And I think that's, for me, that's a little disrespectful considering that Pochettino has done so much for this Tottenham club and has brought them to so many great heights recently and has made them a Premier League powerhouse Considering if you look at them before Pochettino's arrival, they were struggling for that sixth and fifth position. But now if you think of Tottenham, you always think of them kind of being in that top four space. But um, how do you feel like Tottenham handled the Pochettino sacking and that whole situation right there? Well, first of all, let me just address the point that you made. Just the fact that people now perceive Tottenham as being a top four club is... Uh, uh, a real reflection of the work that Pochettino did with with Spurs because they have been known as choke artists. <laughs> the beginning of this revolution started with uh, André Villas-Boas, <laughs> AVB, when he came over from Chelsea after that failure. You, they had Gareth Bale. He had a record season. Um, they were playing in the, in the Champions League. And then there were there were some problems. Pochettino's arrival, I think, cemented Tottenham as a top club in England and a and a a, a pretty strong contender in Europe. And as we saw, they went to the the Champions League final. They they chased until the very end in the sixteen, seventeen, and seventeen, eighteen seasons. Uh, the title chase. They lost out to Leicester and Arsenal in 16-17 and just missed out to Chelsea the year after that. So he has put Tottenham firmly on the map. Having said that, just the fact that he was fired is unbelievable to me. I know that the relationship between Pochettino and and Daniel Levy was untenable, according to reports. They weren't talking to each other. So you knew it was going to happen by the end of the season. But that it, the, the plug was pulled now is surprising. And to your point, the fact that it was done at the end and not at the beginning of a FIFA break suggests that, yes, conversations were being had were, with Mourinho for some time, but not that long. Because if they were having 
discussions with Mourinho for the past month or two, I think the decision would have been made a week ago. So this, uh, there may have been some com- some communication. Um, the the uh, the talk. <laughs> Uh, of the town is that Penny Zahavi, the super agent who is very friendly with both Daniel Levy and Jose Mourinho, made this happen. But the fact that it happened at the very end of the FIFA break suggests that that the the agreements were only made in the last few days. Well, that's actually a surprising thing to, to hear about because yeah, I was kind of thinking about that too, where with Arsenal also being in the situation with their manager, Unai Emery, there, it seems like it was very tactical for Tottenham to also bring in Jose Mourinho, who was available at the time where with Unai Emery right now, Arsenal, there's a lot of fans, a lot of players just in turmoil right now trying to figure out whether or not to sack him now or to keep him for the rest of the season, maybe see if he can win the Europa League, something he's very prolific winning with and or winning at former teams so Tottenham bringing in Jose Mourinho I kind of also thought was a way to make sure that Arsenal doesn't get Jose Mourinho on their team so I was wondering if you thought maybe that's something that Tottenham were were kind of thinking in the back of their heads or you think it's just like just coincidence and also no I I, no I don't look I I think that there were a lot of clubs um in communication with Mourinho. You see, here's the thing about this story that I think is is really important. Mourinho has been, over the last decade and a half, the very best manager along with Pep Guardiola and now Jurgen Klopp in, in European football. He's won everything that you can possibly win. But what happened at Manchester United stained Mourinho. There began to be a belief, I think, that his arrogance had completely uh, overwhelmed his abilities uh, as a manager tactically his his uh, truculence his uh, his abrasiveness had in some ways uh, ruined his ability to communicate and win over players because this is a guy who when he was at Porto and Inter and his first stint at at Chelsea and even at the early stages at Real Madrid a guy that players rallied around, a guy who created an, an us-versus-them atmosphere that brought a, the, the circle of players very close to him. And that disappeared to Manchester United. And that was one of his strongest attributes. So all of a sudden, you're a big European club. You have to make a decision about bringing a manager. You don't think so much about what he achieved um, in terms of trophies. You begin to see the public persona that he created for himself in what was a very messy situation at Manchester United. And I think that what that led to was a lot of clubs communicating with Mourinho, sort of flirting with him, but then never pulling the trigger because the the potential uh, um, for the whole situation to blow up in their faces was too great. He met with San Leahy at Arsenal. I think there was a genuine interest there, even though they weren't quite ready to pull the plug on Emery. Uh, uh, apparently, San Leahy was very convinced about everything that Mourinho said because Mourinho has been very involved in, in soccer. He's been a pundit for Sky Sports. He's been a pundit for us at, at, at BN Sports. So he's studied all these teams. He, know the, he knows them inside and out. Even with all his knowledge, uh, with everything that he's accomplished in the game, 
that period in Manchester United has really plagued him. And so I'm not sure that there were many clubs out there willing to take him on. Tottenham saw this as an opportunity, I think, because things were untenable, as I said, with Pochettino. They haven't won anything with Pochettino, but he has created the foundation for success at the club. And this is a manager who has won a lot of trophies, even during that turbulent period at Manchester United. So it just seems to me that right now, the fit, the best fit was Tottenham. And I think Mourinho realized that and Daniel Levy realized that when the option was made uh, available to him or apparent to him by Pini Zahavi. You know, that that's a very interesting point right there. Um, obviously, I, I do agree with you that the public perception on Mourinho changed a lot when he was at Manchester United because, you know, I, I, I call myself a Manchester United fan. You know, that stint did hurt me as a United fan watching that because we saw how in the past clubs he's managed, he was such a cerebral winner. And we didn't really get that, you know, at United because, you know, obviously there's a multitude of and layers of problems at the club right now. But going back to Mourinho, the narrative on him, though, that's still there is sort of this three-season plague. You know, you get the good, you get the first season with Mourinho where he kind of feels out the team and, you know, he gets his best out there. And then that second season is when he starts winning titles. And then that third season is when people like to say historically kind of the squad implodes on itself. We saw that at his second stint at Chelsea, obviously at Manchester United, it did that. And then, you know, at the previous clubs he's managed, we've kind of seen that fallout. Do you think that this Tottenham situation is a little bit different where he could actually outlast that historic like three-year trend that a lot of people like to point out? Or do you feel like it could be a, another cycle of the same, same type of uh, situation going on? Well, the funny thing is that three years in management in, in today's football is a long-term stint for a manager. In fact, there are a lot of people who believe that if you don't have a, a constant recycling of players, when a manager stays that long at a club, the, the, the message becomes stale. They don't respond as much. Now, of course, you have outliers like Jurgen Klopp, who seems to just be taking Liverpool from strength to strength perhaps we're seeing the the uh that exact thing happening with Pep Guardiola at Manchester City where we're seeing a team not always perform to the level that we've become accustomed to over the last couple of seasons I, I look I, the answer to your question is I I really don't know but what I do believe is that and uh, and I I want to believe is that Mourinho learned his lesson uh at Manchester United he realized over the, the last few months that he is not bulletproof, that no matter how much he has won, there, there has been a perception that perhaps the game has uh, surpassed him, that modern football no longer, or that he no longer applies to modern football. football. I think he understands that. He also has gotten a situation where he's coaching a big team, in the city where he lives, and that's an added benefit. I mean, let's not forget that he was living in a hotel for those two and a half years that he was at, at Manchester United. So this is the perfect situation. And if he's learned his lesson, if he manages to put a lid on his uh, uh, rash behavior uh, and a need to be correct all the time and to manipulate and bully the press and everybody around him, I think this could be a very successful appointment uh, for Tottenham. And I'd be willing to bet that 
he will have some, some success there. Now, what that success is, well, considering that Pochettino never managed to win a trophy, uh, I think just winning a trophy will be a successful period for Mourinho at Tottenham. And, you know, that's very interesting. But, you know, going back to Pochettino here, because he obviously was the manager that got sacked. Where does he go from here? I mean, obviously, that Manchester United job was heavily linked to him. But obviously, they gave the full-time employment to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Bayern Munich still need a manager. There's a couple club, bigger clubs out there that we assume that could be needing a new manager come the end of the term. Where do you see Pochettino going? Do you feel like he's going to take a just a sabbatical from football and just kind of take a break, or it just where, where do you where do you kind of see him ending up after after this shock? Well, you mentioned two of the most likely candidates, and that's Manchester United and Bayern Munich. I think you can add Real Madrid to that list only because even though um, their form has improved as of late, uh, Real Madrid still has a Clasico to play on the 18th of December, which could once again raise questions about Zinedine Zidane's suitability at the head of the club, which is incredible to even say, because this is a guy who won three consecutive Champions League with the club and, and <laughs> won La Liga title in, in the three years that he was there. But Zidane has created some problems for himself. Um, for example, his relationship with Gareth Bale has been uh, has been uh, irrepar- irreparably damaged uh, based on what we've seen over the last few months with Zidane saying that he wanted the player out and then depending on him and then Gareth Bale just yesterday standing in front of a flag that said Wales, Golf, and Madrid in that order. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, So, you know, a lot of people are going to blame Gareth Bale, but I think that the bigger picture here is that Zidane has made some mistakes. And if they are not very close to the title um, by the end of this season, and if they are not in the latter stages of the Champions League, I'm not sure he survives this campaign. And then I think Pochettino is the most likely candidate. And I would bet that that is the job that Pochettino wants the most because it is perhaps the biggest team in world football. And number two, he coached Espanol for years. He actually played there as well. And we know that he has a little bit of an aversion towards Barcelona. So it would be the perfect landing spot for him. And I think he'd be the perfect manager for Real Madrid. Dang. Dang, that's kind of cool. But I'm actually thinking more back to Premier League as well in terms of how Jose Mourinho goes into Tottenham. And... With Mauricio Pochettino, he's now ascended to, you know, being talked about going into Manchester United or managing Real Madrid. So with Jose Mourinho now being that new manager to kind of ascend Tottenham into like the next level, like the next world-class top four kind of team, we talked about how they can potentially be successful in terms of winning a trophy or disrupting the top four. Do you believe that Mourinho this season could make an impact in the Premier League in terms of where they finish, maybe top four, or maybe even disrupt the title race in terms of maybe snagging some points away from Manchester City or Liverpool? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think that can absolutely happen. Even when he had a, a, a pretty poor Manchester United, he still managed to make life difficult for Pep Guardiola and Manchester City. Uh, so... 
make no mistake about it. He could he could become the proverbial banana peel for either Liverpool, Manchester City, or any other club for that matter. I think they have a chance. They're they're eleven points away from fourth place, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that's that's a big a big chunk of points that he has to make up. But it is possible because I think that what we're seeing uh, in this Premier League season is teams that are just not playing consistently enough if you get away from Liverpool, Manchester City, and now Leicester City who are in second place. But even I don't believe, as much as I'm a big fan of Brendan, Brendan Rodgers, and I think the, the Leicester story is a great one, and he's built a very solid and balanced team. I don't think they can keep this up. I think it's ultimately going to be between Liverpool and Manchester City at the very end. And there is a, a possibility... Um, for Tottenham to creep in there and manage that fourth spot. Yeah, that is uh, very interesting there. And then, you know, another team that we've kind of been speaking about in this podcast, uh, Arsenal, under the management of Unai Emery, we've obviously talked a lot about their problems in previous episodes. Uh, it's famously known the Granit Xhaka situation, not playing Ozil, um, just a whole list of problems. Obviously, when they did lose to Leicester going into the um, international break, I kind of thought that, you know, maybe they might sack him, but obviously he's still the manager at Arsenal. Do you feel, in terms of Arsenal, do you feel like they're just going stick to stick it out with Emery, or do you feel like we could see another Tottenham situation where they just end up calling it quits with him in the middle of the season and bring someone else on board? Well, now the question is, who would you bring? I mean, Allegri is, mm-hmm. is available, and he'd be an option. Apparently Manchester United are looking at him as well. The, the Arsenal situation, I think, is a, is a complicated one because if you're to believe or if we're to believe uh, that there is a structural problem still behind the scenes, despite the fact that uh, an entire new group, uh, group of people uh, have um, come in, uh, headed by Sanlehi, who, who was very impactful at Barcelona, that suggests that there's a problem that goes beyond Unai Emery. But I do think that the Spanish manager has created some problems for himself. Number one, he's alienated a lot of supporters because of the way that he's treated Ozil. Um, he has perhaps lost the confidence of some supporters because he can't really figure out what his starting 11 is or what his best formation is. I mean, against Leicester City, he played with a three-man uh, back line, if I'm not mistaken, and he's usually mm-hmm. a four-three-three acolyte. So, the fact that we're not seeing consistency for from Emery is what is troubling to me. Because if you go back to his days at Valencia, if you go back to his very successful days at Sevilla, and even to some degree uh, his period at PSG, which was fraught with internal problems. He always had a pretty good idea of the football that he wanted to play, his most successful lineup, and certainly the, the formation. And we're not seeing any of that at Arsenal, and that's problematic. But the fact that they've stuck with him this long, and they're continuing to say that they're going to see another four, five, six, seven games to see how it pans out, I think he survives the, in, the entire season. Yeah, I was I was kind of relating, you know, previous episodes that this situation kind of reminds me of Louis Van Hall when he was at Manchester United. It was always the reports of four, five, six games. Let's see how he does, and then we'll call the quits. But it just kind of reminds me of that one. But before we kind of jump into looking at how the Premier League teams are shaping up in the Champions League um, with Mourinho, I know we keep talking about him. Um, 
you know, where do you kind of see, I guess, like his starting 11? Do you feel like, do you have a, I guess, do you have an idea that you probably think that which players are going to stand out for him in his starting 11? He's obviously spoke very highly about Harry Kane, really likes Harry Kane style of play. He's a great goal scorer. But in terms of fielding that uh, other 10, where do you kind of see Mourinho kind of shaping this team? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think he makes too many changes from, from what we saw with, with Pochettino. I'm curious to see where he plays Tongi and Dombele because the misconception is that Ndombele is a, a six, but he's really a box-to-box player. Lachelso can play in the six, but he's also a box-to-box player. So my biggest question is who becomes sort of that anchorman in the midfield? Harry Winks is a ball player. He's not a defensive presence. When we know that Mourinho likes a defensive presence, a, a player like Matic, um, and, uh, and, and the like. So I'm, I'm curious to see, uh, a player like Kadir that he had at, at Real Madrid. I'm curious to see who, who he plays in that position. But other than that, I don't, I don't see that many, uh, changes to the lineup. I guess the other questions are, is what happens in the fullback position? Does Davies get an opportunity at left back once again, or does Danny Rose continue to, to be the starter, even though he's, He's wildly inconsistent. And on the right-hand side, we've seen Davidson Sanchez play there, even though he's a fantastic center back. I know he's had a, a poor season, and I just called a game with him uh, for Columbia, and I was actually at the stadium for another Columbia game where he was torrid. He had a horrible game, but he's still a very good center back. So there are questions on the right-hand side, the defensive midfield. Uh, but other than that, I, I think we're going to see pretty much the same lineups as as we've been seeing, it's just really a question of the the the, the structure and and the tactics, the fo- footballing philosophy. Sweet. All right, and we're just going to quickly jump into the Champions League. We're obviously going to just look at how the Premier League teams are shaping up right here in Group B. Bayern Munich obviously are on top with twelve points, and Tottenham sitting in second place with seven. As much as Tottenham has struggled in the Premier League, their Champions League form has been a lot better. I mean, obviously. They got thumped by Bayern, but after that, they have slowly bounced back. They've benefited by playing some easy teams there. But with Mourinho now being the manager, I'm assuming Tottenham can make it out of this group stage. They'll probably end up finishing second here. I always say this. There's probably not a better manager out there if you're looking for one v like just a one-off game. There's probably no better manager to have than Jose Mourinho because he can set his side up to basically counteract any of the opposition's best players. I mean, we saw that when he was manager at United, he, the way he set Ander Herrera to man-mark Eden Hazard. Um, and we've seen that multiple times with other big opponents. With Tottenham, though, uh, moving on kind of in the Champions League, in the knockout stages, where, I mean, you already mentioned this, that they could make a deep run, but do you firmly believe they could make a deep run? And like in terms of who is going to be their key player, though, if they do intend to make those deeper runs into the Champions League? Oh, well, they need Harry Kane to score consistently like he is uh, for England. I think he's got six goals in this campaign. Son, for me, is the key player. I, I love this guy. The fact that Real Madrid did not go after him, I know they went after Hazard, and I think that's a very good uh, signing, even though he hasn't started the season very well. He's finally starting to come into some form. But Son, for me, is a ter- an unbelievable player. I, I mean, two-footed uh, so athletic, incredible in transition, which I think is going to suit uh, Mourinho perfectly because he loves playing uh, with teams or setting up teams to spring very quickly on the break. Uh, so those two are, are, are going to be key. And the midfield, ultimately, what's going to happen in, the, in this midfield, how he's going to build that midfield. But he's got more than enough talent on that team 
to go pretty far. I think we're going to start seeing uh, a much better Tottenham again. And it's purely because it's a change of voice and he will reinvigorate uh, these players, re-energize these players. So I could see them going all the way to the quarterfinals uh, of the competition. Nice. And with Group C, we have Manchester City obviously on top with 10 points. The biggest thing for them is they obviously have Pep Guardiola, a manager that hasn't won the Champions League since he left Barcelona. And that's kind of been the ghost that's been chasing him. That's the one thing he's been trying to chase at Bayern Munich and especially at City now. He's won everything at City. Um, But obviously they have so many defensive flaws going on right now. They obviously lost Laporte to an injury. They don't have company anymore, so they've kind of been playing a makeshift center back positions um, throughout the Premier League season. I mean, we've seen Rodri there. Fernandinho has kind of been playing as that center back. I'm still predicting that their defensive mistakes are going to carry them onto Europe. And that's why I don't think they're going to make a deep run in the Champions League because they always seem to just get knocked out, especially in the knockout stages against, you know, the likes of Liverpool. And then we saw with Tottenham last year. Do you feel like the same type of uh, performances are going to follow City into the Champions League like we've seen from the past couple seasons? Well, full disclosure, they were my pick to win the Champions League <laughs> at the start, of, at the start of, of the season. But all the, the problems that you mentioned may, may make that uh, very hard, if not Im- impossible. I still have a lot of faith that Manchester City will, will, will go pretty deep into this, in, into this competition because they just have a, a tremendous team. And They've really suffered in the back line because of all those um, injuries that you alluded to. The fact that a player like John Stones hasn't convinced. And when Guardiola first got there, he was supposed to be the 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 player, sort of the linchpin of that defensive uh, setup. But I, I still believe that with Pep Guardiola, anything is possible. And then you look at Kun Aguero, who is one of the best strikers uh, in the world. You look at... Uh, De Bruyne, who for me is uh, pound for pound the best midfielder in the world, and then Bernardo Silva, who is just behind him. Uh, in fact, I think ESPN has just named Bernardo Silva their the best midfielder in the world or in Europe. One of the two, I'm not quite sure. Wow. So, uh, I look. Man City is rich in, in players. Injured players are going to. Um, recover and they'll get back into this i think manchester city are still a force in this competition and by the way let me just add this liverpool and tottenham uh, the two teams that kicked them out those ties both liverpool and tottenham were very very fortunate and on the other side of that coin man city very unfortunate i mean you look at that call the 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 no goal on uh, Leroy Sané two years mm-hmm. ago, where James Miller makes a clear attempt at the ball, so Sané should have not been called offside when he scored that. And then I forget exactly everything that happened uh, in the Tottenham game. Apologies, <laughs> because I am absolutely um, drowning. Oh no, drowning a lot in happened soccer, in that game. <laughs> but I think Man City will go far. <laughs> that kind of leads me to. Group E with Liverpool, Napoli, Red Bull, Salzburg, and Genk, where Liverpool, the reigning Champions League winning team, the team that I support, <laughs> they've been going through this season in the Champions <laughs> League. A little rusty, not going to lie. They conceded seven goals so far. It's not very Liverpool-esque of them to concede this many goals and then, of course, lose to Napoli. That was, was a little rough, but... Ironically enough, the thing I want to highlight in this group was Erling Haaland, the striker for Red Bull Salzburg, because this is a player that I think could be one of the future stars 
in the Premier League, actually, because if there's a team that needs a striker, like, you know, say Manchester United, <laughs> this is a player that they'd be looking into because this is a player that over the over the summer, you see him score in the U20 World Cup where he scored nine goals in one game. This is that Honduras, yep. Mm-hmm. yep. So I was wondering, do you see Holland as a player who could probably progress and be one of those next great players? Or do you think it's just like one of those things where he's just, he's just having a really great season? Do you think he's oh, going to be one of the I think up there? I think it's too early to tell. Uh, you know, it's 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 a tricky one because RB Salzburg are a powerhouse powerhouse in in Austria, uh, so they demolish most of their opponents. But he has been pulling it off in the Champions League. So look, he he's he's young. Uh, I only see. Uh, excellent attributes in the player. I mean, he's he's tall, he's fast, he seems like a natural finisher. Uh, he he's got sort of this in, infectious enthusiasm when he when he plays. So I, I think he's going to make a move, most likely to RB Leipzig, because that's that tends to be tends to be the move. But yeah, he's a he's a player who can cause a tremendous amount of damage, especially if RB Salzburg end up going into the Europa League, parachuting into Europa League. Hmm. Yeah. And also did... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, you go, <laughs> go ahead, Tyler. Go ahead. You got it. I also did have a follow-up question with this group. And this is a question that Yosh and I have been answering here and there, not only during this season of the podcast, but last season, where when you have a team like Liverpool, when they're fighting for the title in the Premier League and also trying to win the Champions League, with managers kind of thinking, do you do you think it'd be better to prioritize a certain competition, or do you think it's just best to go for both? Maybe try to win out both. I, you know, I don't know how managers, other than putting in a completely different uh, eleven, I don't know how managers manage to prioritize one competition other than the uh, inst- uh, over another. Um, I think Liverpool is very focused on winning the Premier League, but. I think they're almost equally um, looking to win the Champions League once again. Uh, it's it's a it's a difficult one because the the problem that I see. Let's talk about Liverpool since we're talking about Group E. Is that there isn't that much rotation going on for for Liverpool. So uh, we would only be able to tell that Klopp is prioritizing one competition over the other if he made significant changes to the lineup. And we haven't really seen that. So I think Liverpool is going for, for both competitions. And to be honest, I think that's exactly what one should do. And let fate uh, decide which one you should focus on the most if you happened, happen to be on the losing end uh, of, of a first leg game, for example, in the knockout stages. Let's say if Liverpool loses 3-0 or 3-1 to whoever they end up meeting in the, in the first uh, knockout stages. Uh, let that decide. But I don't think any manager, for the most part, should have to decide between two competitions. If you're ambitious, if you have a powerful club, you go for both. Nice. And that's uh, that's definitely a very interesting take because I remember um, Mourinho's first season, I think he made it publicly known that he was basically prioritizing the Europa League because at that point, it seemed like it was basically impossible to reach the top four in the Premier League. But yep. obviously those are two different kind of circumstances when you already know, as you mentioned, fate just kind of took care of the Premier League side so he could focus on Europa League. But right. that's very that's a very interesting take there. 
And then going into Group H, there's three teams tied with seven points. Obviously, Ajax, Chelsea, and Valencia. This group, for me, has just had so much drama because so much stuff has just happened so late on in these games. Do you feel like Chelsea is strong enough with Frank Lampard and their youngsters? I mean, Christian Pulisic has been scoring a lot of goals recently. Tammy, it seems like they've solved their number nine situation with Tammy Abraham. Do you feel like they're strong enough to um, basically progress to the set, uh, round of 16? Or do you feel like um, we could potentially see them in the Europa League again? Oh, well, it's a tough one. This was actually when we did the preview at, at the end. Uh, of the Champions League, this was for me the group to to really focus on because it's one of those where everything anything could happen. I'm very disappointed in, in Lille. They were the surprise package last season in uh, Liga. I'm actually calling their game against PSG uh, on Friday on Being Sports, and I'm very excited about that one. They have one of the most interesting forwards right now in European football. His name is Victor Osimhen. He's a Nigerian international who has. Uh, helped everybody forget that Nicolas Pepe existed. By the way, another problem that Emery is facing is not getting the most out of Nicolas Pepe, who was lights out one of the best players in Europe last season. What Frank Lampard has done at Chelsea is nothing short uh, of impressive, but he has uh, absolute faith in the players, in the young players, and they have delivered for him. You mentioned Tammy Abraham, natural scorer. We saw that uh, when he was playing uh, on loan uh, last season at Aston Villa. So he again, th- th- even though they're handcuffed by this transfer market situation, he's got enough talent there. And we know that Chelsea produces a lot of good young talent. Uh, in fact, Frank Lampard's uh, right-hand man, whose name is escaping me right now, he won a bunch of Premier Leagues, under under 21 Premier Leagues with, with Chelsea. Uh, coaching these players that Lampard is now in charge of. So I think Chelsea can go through here. Valencia is going strength to strength under Albert Celades, who took over for for Marcelino, and there was a little bit of a a turbulent transition. And Ajax is is a a team that has shown some inconsistency, but even after losing De Ligt and De Jong and Schöne, they still look like a a damn good team, um, as long as players like uh, uh, Ziyech and Tadic are are playing at their best. So who knows in this group, but regardless, uh, Chelsea could be a very tough team to face in this competition or the Europa League if they happen to parachute down. Nice. And you spoke about Europa League kind of transitioning there. Obviously, the big big boys are Arsenal, Manchester United in there, but obviously Wolverhampton Wolves are in there. They're sitting in second place in Group K with nine nine points they obviously started the season very tough and very roughly i mean they were struggling to score goals and pick up points but in the premier league they found some form and then obviously in the europa league they picked up some wins um is wolves still a shock team to you do you feel like their their kind of performances and how they've kind of maintained their form from last season is that shocking to you or do you feel like wolves was a team to stay um, and kind of fight for, you know, middle of the pack and maybe threaten the top six here and there? Oh, I always believed that they were going to threaten the top six. I mean, you look at the, you look at that roster, uh, the team that they've, they've put together is a, is a very, very good one. Um, so I, I think that they'll be in the, in the top six or, or top seven for sure. And in, and insofar as the Europa League is concerned, here's the thing about the Europa League, which happens to be a tournament that I, that I actually really enjoy, but in the group stage is where you really see the chasm for the most part between uh, top five leagues and the rest of European 
uh, leagues. I mean, Wolves is in second place in Group K, and Braga, who are not doing that well in the Portuguese league, are at top of that group. But if you look at you know Braga, Wolves, uh, Slovan Bratislava, and Besiktas, Wolves out of all those teams, has the most talent on its squad, even though it's a mid-table or upper mid-table team in the Premier League. And that's just because the Premier League is a cut above most leagues uh, in Europe. It also helps that Besiktas is having a nightmare of a a campaign in Turkey uh, right now. So yeah, I think Wolves will be in the top seven, and I think they'll get pretty far in the the Europa League if if, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo... Uh, decides to focus on on that competition, which I think he will. Hmm. I kind of agree with that too, because it's not every day you see Wolf, Wolverhampton Wolves in the Europa League. It's like one of those things when you saw Leicester in the Champions League, it's like, oh, we got to go for it. This is our chance. Exactly. This is our time. And kind of going into the other Premier League teams in the Europa League, we see Arsenal, and this is Una Emery's competition. When you see him at Sevilla, he won this competition three three years in a row, and beat Liverpool that season (laughs) but right now he's just going in he has no losses in the Europa League and he's basically just cruising a little bit and at times he's playing some youngsters do you think that Una Emery has the chance the main drive to really go for in the Europa League and maybe even win it all do you see the Arsenal doing it of course of course again it goes back to it goes back to to what I said. You look at any any uh, English team or any team from a major league in, in Europa League, and you can include the ones that parachute down from from the Champions League, from the top five leagues, parachuting down from the Champions League. All those teams are will will look at this as an opportunity to get another trophy. I think we're we've gone beyond that belief that the Europa League is sort of this. Uh, second-class tournament that um, teams won't pay attention to. I, I think that we saw last season with two English finalists in this competition and obviously in the Champions League as well, but uh, focusing on this one, that they are taking it seriously, not only because it's a passport to the Champions League, but because it is an opportunity to flex your muscles uh, in Europe. They may not pay much attention to the group stages. They may rotate a lot in the group stages because even the big teams, when they rotate, the teams are still good enough to make noise in the group stages. But once you get into the knockout phase, I think they take it very seriously. So uh, I, w- I would not be surprised to see Wolverhampton do well and Arsenal being uh, in the semifinals at least. And, you know, Manchester United's probably in that same ilk too because it's such the big brand and the big powerhouse they are. However, they've shown a lot of inconsistencies under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer due to the fact that the squad is very thin and they're playing a lot of youngsters. Paul Pogba is still trying to recover from injury. Obviously, they were hurt that Anthony Martial was out for a good portion of the time, but since he's been back, they found a little bit of more attacking flair. Do you, however, do you trust this Manchester United side with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the Europa League to kind of make a deep run into it? I mean, obviously they have the talent to kind of keep up with anyone in the competition, but can you trust this young team compared to an Arsenal that has a lot more seasoned veterans on their side to make a deeper run in this competition? Yeah, absolutely. But let me answer this this question for you. I think we are going to see with Manchester United uh, this season under Solskjaer the same thing we saw that you guys mentioned uh, with Mourinho as a passport to the Champions League. So, yes, I, I do think that um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, if only to save his job, by the way, will be 
will be pressing to win this competition. He won't show it right now. You know, they're leading the group um, and they're, they're comfortable. It depends who they face on the, in, in the next round. But yes, I, I believe that they have a lot of eggs in the Europa League basket. All right. And now we don't want to take too much. Uh, obviously, you have three minutes left, but just to quickly go into the preview, just quick fire predictions from you. Um, obviously, Jose Mourinho's first match in charge against West Ham. How do you think this game will go? I think Tottenham wins this game uh, for two reasons. There's the that new manager bump in form. And also West Ham, I, I don't quite understand what's happening there. <laughs> I think that uh, Pellegrini is under a little bit of pressure. So uh, Tottenham wins this one. All right. And then Sheffield United, Manchester United? Oof. Uh, I'm going to say it's a draw because Sheffield United, they're tough, man. They The tight defensive lines, very physical uh, very unlucky against Tottenham not to win that game. They get a point here. And then obviously the big game of the weekend, City versus Chelsea. How do you see this one going? Uh, City's going to win this one. It's a statement game <laughs> for Pep Guardiola. Uh, it won't be easy, but but they'll get it done. All right. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you for so much for taking your time and coming on. We really do appreciate it. Um, and I hope you have a great day. I'm, luckily, you've been able to fit this in on your busy schedule. But thank you again for coming no, on no, the podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure to come on. And, and hopefully in the near <laughs> future, I can uh, can uh, jump on with you guys. Oh, for sure. Time. Definitely. All right. Yeah. All take right. care. Thank you, fellas. Take it for easy. Sure. Thank Bye-bye. you, Eric. <laughs> thank you, Eric. <laughs> Since we now have you, uh, obviously, since Eric was a little pressed in time there, um, yep. when it comes to the West Ham-Tottenham game, where do you kind of see this one going? So right now for West Ham, as Eric kind of mentioned, we don't know what's really going on with West Ham right now. They're just in free fall, just, just taking L's, L's after L's after L's. And Tottenham were in that kind of situation where they just couldn't get a win. But with Jose Mourinho coming in, he knows how to get results even as like a manager just under a week. And I actually think Tottenham will get the victory. So I think it'll be a 1-0. Just a very cool 1-0. That's very Jose Mourinho-esque kind of scoreline. And that really set the bar right there. <laughs> just like just really set the, the storyline going. It's like, all right, first game in, 1-0. There we go. Classic. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, Sheffield United versus Manchester United. Ooh, so this one low-key top of the table battle right now because Sheffield's in fifth which is big surprise right now but I think Sheffield do have what it takes to really get a point out of this game and I also think it'll be a draw because right now Manchester United they got Martial back he's going to build some momentum eventually but also Rashford he was showing a lot during the last game against Brighton although it was a couple weeks ago now I still think he can carry on the momentum but Sheffield right now, there's just something about them. There's just something where they can just get results regardless of the opposition as we saw them get some point or point away from Tottenham. So Sheffield at home as well, I think it'll be 1-1. All right, and then City versus Chelsea. Ooh, <laughs> so this one, this one's going to be big because right now after losing to Liverpool, Manchester City cannot afford to drop any more points. And although Frank Lampard, he has brought a Chelsea team to be actually currently above Manchester City right now in the table. This is too big of a game for the title contenders to really drop more points on. So I think there's not there's no room for error. There's not anything you can settle with in terms of like a draw or loss for Manchester City. So I see them winning this 2-1. 
Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I, I agree. I think this will be a city win. But with that, that kind of does it for us in this episode. It was a bit of a longer one, but we want to thank Eric for coming on to the show. Um, but yeah, please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. And that kind of does it for us. Peace. Peace. Peace.